Let's start with Isaiah 55, 6 through 9, if you'll turn your attention to the screens. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's pray. Father, would you just, would your spirit just move in us today? Would your presence just overflow in our hearts? Would you remind us that your ways are higher than our ways, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and would you just help us to submit to those things, submit to those higher ways, submit to those higher thoughts? Lord, forgive us, have mercy on us in the ways that we have drifted away from you. This morning, would you lead us back into your home, back into your arms? In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. At <laughs> Woo! Luke's, Luke's excited about that. Um, <laughs> uh, last week, we started our series called Stories, okay? And it's this series, uh, we're talking about the parables that Jesus told when he was around town going to all the peoples, all right? So he was basically telling a lot of these stories to explain what the kingdom of God is like. Okay, a lot of these stories weren't for the purpose of saying, hey, you need to be better about this. Hey, you need to be like this. You need to be like this. He's not, he's not trying to tell people what to do. He's trying to explain what the kingdom of God is like and then invite us to model that. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not a command. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's an invitation. Right? That, is, that is the way Jesus operates. And the reason we're doing this series is because we believe that the stories that Jesus told, just as they, as they shaped and, and birthed the generation then, and birthed the church then, that they can and should form our current generation today. If the words of Jesus are what gave birth to a church, then those should be forming the church today. Amen? Amen. If we're going to follow anyone's words, it should be his. So today's parable is from Luke chapter 15. Here's what's going on, okay? In Luke chapter 15, we've got Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and uh, the bad people that, that the Pharisees don't really like. The religious people are like, oh, they kind of rub me the wrong way. I don't like that you're talking to them. It's all these sinners around the table. And they're listening to him preach and listening to him say these messages. And some of the Pharisees were okay with this, but other Pharisees were getting really angry about this. They're saying they don't deserve to be in the presence of, of a teacher. They don't deserve to be here. Why would you waste your time with these sinners? They don't do any of the right things. And so Jesus is like, oh, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a few stories even to try and show you what the kingdom of God is actually like. So you're obviously a little bit confused. All right, so he tells them three stories and they all have to do with finding something that is lost. Okay, so the first story he tells is the story of the lost sheep. All right, so, so this, there's a shepherd and he loses his one sheep out of a bunch of sheep that he has and he goes out and he finds it, the sheep and then he celebrates and rejoices that his sheep is found. Then there's the story of the lost coin. All right, and this woman loses her coin and she's looking all over the place for it. She's asking around town, hey, have you seen my coin? And then when she finds it, she celebrates and rejoices. And today we're gonna be zooming in on that third story. Uh, it's the story of the lost son. 
If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 15, verse 11. Uh, if not, you can follow along on the screens. And I feel like I should also take this moment that if you don't own a paper Bible and you would like one, we have one for you. We want you to take one. We have some in the lobby and on a cart. We got a little cart with a bunch of Bibles. And if you have one, we want to give one to you. So if you want to get one after church in the lobby, or you can come to me and I will personally take you over there to get you a Bible. If that's what we have to do, we will do that. All right. I just have to say that before we get going. It's good to have a Bible. All right. Um, so Luke 15, 11. Here we go. Jesus continued with his stories. There was a man who had two sons. All right, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. Give me my share. And so he divided his property between them, between the two sons. So the sons now have the property. It's divided among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had been given. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he's feeding the pigs, he comes to his senses, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to see his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, that older son was in the field. He stayed home. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he calls one of the servants over and says, what's going on? The servant replies, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has brought him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry at this and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him to come and celebrate, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, and the father said, I imagine he says that really gently, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. One of the things that I love about this story is that there's a very obvious lesson that Jesus is trying to teach here, right? Like if, if, if we're in their shoes and we're looking at how Jesus is right here with some obvious people that have, you know, been lost, they've gone away from the things they were supposed to do. And then you have the Pharisees, the religious leaders who have done what they're supposed to do. It's a very obvious father, younger son, older son thing going on. It's very obvious that Jesus is trying to tell them, hey, God welcomes the sinners back home. God opens his arms to them. Loving arms will celebrate and rejoice when they return to him. 
But I think there's also a unique opportunity with this story to go a little bit deeper than that. A little bit deeper than just the, 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 the surface level, what Jesus is trying to tell them, obvious thing. Remember, we're doing this series because we believe that these stories can form us. That they can form us and that they should form us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go into each of these characters. We're going to put ourselves in each of their shoes and, and see what is, it, what is it like to be the younger son, to be the father or to be the older son. See how we relate to them. And I encourage you to be honest with yourselves. Be honest about it. Allow the spirit to form you. Right? If this, if this story is going to form us, we have to allow it to form us. I'm telling you, each of these characters have the power to form you in some way. Like I could do a, I could do a separate 40-minute sermon on each of these characters. Like this could be a whole series just for this one story. All right, there's a lot of stuff in here. Okay, but we're all just gonna do it one day. And we're gonna get formed by it. Ready? Three sermons. Ready, set, go. Um, first off, the younger son. The younger one, all right, we're at verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, the father normally retained possessions until after he died, all right? That's like normal for us. Like if you have your parents, they have a will. And so that when they pass, you get this list of things. You don't get it before they die. That's not, that's not written down. That's not in the rules. That's not how it works. But he goes up to his father and he's like, hey, I know you're still kicking and all. I know you're doing just fine, but give me my money. Like, give me my money that you're going to give me when you die. I know you're totally fine, but I just want that money. What? Like, what do you, could you imagine going to your healthy parent, your perfectly healthy parent and being like, hey, give me my money that you're going to give me when you die. I want that now. I want it right now. Not for any reason. I just want it. I want to go do my own thing, live on my own. I would be like, no. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. Excuse me? Like, what, what, are you, what are you saying? For some reason, unbeknownst to us, the father's like, yeah, sure, I'll just give you this money. Like, he's just like, yeah, sure, here you go. Um, we're not going to get into that, though, because I have no idea why he does that. Verse 13. We're, we're going to care about what happens after he gives the money. Not long after that, the younger son, he got all that he had, all right, he got his share together and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. It's no longer this. Famines are not this. All right, so the famines comes, he's hungry, he began to be in need. He spent all that he had already. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. That couldn't be more embarrassing at this point. He longs to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. That sounds disgusting. I don't even want to know that. how hungry do you have to be to want to eat the pig food. Uh, but nobody gave him anything. Verse 17, he comes to his senses. I imagine he's like, feeding the sheep, he's feeding the pigs, and he's doing his thing. And then he's like, what am I doing? Why am I still here? Like, and he, and he says this, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm here starving to death, feeding a bunch of pigs. 
I'm gonna go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. All right, so the younger son, he just wants the stuff. Doesn't care about his dad, doesn't care about the relationship. He just wants to have a good time. He just wants to do life his way. He doesn't wanna live at his parents' house anymore. So he goes and he spends and he spends and he spends and he wastes and he indulges in all of the things that he wants to. And only when he hits rock bottom, when he's spent all that he possibly can, then he's willing to go back home, going running back home, needing help. All right, notice in verse 17, it says, he came to his senses. He's like, oh, duh, maybe I should just go home. Like that, there's an idea. And so he comes to his senses and he's like, maybe I hit rock bottom. This is it. It can't get worse than this. I got to get out of here. We can easily look at this as part of the story. We can easily look at this and try to be like, oh, I'll insert myself into the younger son's shoes. And we'll say, have I hit rock bottom? We're thinking through all of our life. Have I hit rock bottom? Am I, am I in need desperately? And if we're like, no, no, I think I'm okay. I don't think I'm at rock bottom yet. Then we're like, cool, I'm good. No, 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 no. That's not the point Jesus is trying to make here. It's not about acknowledging if you're at rock bottom or not or what your rock bottom is, but acknowledging that you're on your way there. If you haven't hit rock bottom yet, you will. If you keep going your own way. This is about acknowledging that you can run to the Father before that happens. Before you get to rock bottom. Imagine how much more pleasant of a story this would be for the younger brother, this younger son, if he went out, spent half his money, and then was like, ooh, if I keep spending this money, I'm going to end up having to go back home. I'm going to end up losing it all. Maybe I should just go back now, and then I won't have to worry about it. Like, that would be a much more pleasant story. We wouldn't have this whole dilemma that he's in feeding the pigs. He wouldn't have ever gotten there if he would have just submitted in the first place. And so my question for you is, are you willing to ask for help when you need it? Or are you even willing to ask for help when you know you're probably going to need it because you're not on a good path? Maybe for you, this is financial. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you need marriage counseling. Maybe you just need counseling in general. I don't know what it is for you, but are you willing to ask for help? Are you willing to say, I can't do this by myself? Are you willing to say, my own way of trying to do life isn't going to work out? Listen to how Acts 4 describes the early church. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. 
Are you seeing this? Their ministry just thrived and thrived and thrived. And the more that they testified to the resurrection, the more they were transformed by it. And the more they were transformed by it, the more they kept helping each other out, the more that their community kept flourishing. And then when they flourished, they could spread the gospel again. It's just a never-ending cycle, a snowball effect, if you will. And so my question is, are you willing to turn to this kind of help? Remember, that, that's a church that was shaped by this story. That's a church that was shaped by these words and said, hey, maybe we should turn to each other. Maybe we should, maybe we should have each other's backs. And so church, what would it look like for our church today to then be formed by that same philosophy, by that same lesson? Are you willing to turn for help and say, I can't do it by myself? We have this parasite in our American culture that's like, I have to be independent. I have to carry my own weight. And there's shame in asking anybody for help about anything. Oh, I can't go to therapy. That would imply that I'm broken. I can't do that. I can't ask for money because I, I, I have to bring that money in. I can't, I can't go to counseling. I can't go to, to marriage counseling because then my marriage, it mean, I have to face the reality that my marriage isn't what I want it to be. We have to be willing to move past that. That is a lie from the devil. There's no shame in that. There is no shame in needing help. All throughout the scriptures, we see that God is saying he will take care of us time and time again. And I don't mean that in the sense that you're not gonna get a check in the mail from God. Boy, do I wish that I could get a check in the mail from God. He's just, to, to Nick, from God, a million dollars, boom, yes. You know, like, no, he's not gonna give you a check in the mail. If you've been around the church at all for any sort of period of time, you'll know that God works through the community of believers. Amen. The community of believers is the means by which God takes care of us. So be reminded of that truth today. Be reminded that you will be welcomed home if you need help. There is no shame if you need help, if you need that sort of help. If you can't do it by yourself, stop running on fumes. Stop trying to do it. Stop feeding the pigs. Come back. There is open arms for you. There are open arms that God has for you. And how does he show that he has open arms? It's through a community that loves you and wants to care for you and wants to provide for you. And you might think, oh, well, I'm a Christian, so this doesn't really apply to me. I'm not, I'm not lost. But notice that this story doesn't just apply to non-believers. Because how does the story start? It says, a father had his two sons. This is a son. He's part of the family. He's part of the family. He's got all the things. He's got all the things that the father has given. The father's like, you can have anything that's mine. And what does he do? He denies his father. He leaves home. He doesn't end up losing everything because he's not in the family. He ends up losing everything because he chose to forsake his family that he had. This is not just for the non-Christian. This, this is exactly for the Christian. The person who's, who's in the community, who's in the family, but is saying, I don't need the family. I'm in it. I'm in the church. I go to the church, but I don't need the church. You need the church. You need the community. And you can admit that you need it. We're all willing to admit we need the community. If COVID taught us anything, it's that we need the community. We see how well we do by ourselves. We don't do very well. 
but we constantly still choose to live the way that we want to. We're saying, I'd rather do it this way. I don't want to be in need. I don't want to be having, I don't, I don't want to need help from people. But my encouragement to you, if you are in that, in that spot, if you are in those shoes, all it takes is a walk back home. The son didn't have to jump through any hoops. He didn't have to jump through any hoops to get back in. He didn't have to follow any sort of instructions. You know what he did? He said, I'm going to go back to my father's house. I'm just going to walk back. And we'll see what happens there. And as we see in the story, God's ready for you every single time. Looking at the father, verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The word filled there is, is like his inward parts being stirred. Like literal, like he's feeling sick to his stomach, like a pit, a nervous, excited, like, oh, I just, oh my gosh, it's him. You know, I see so excited. Have you ever felt something like that where you haven't seen someone in a long time maybe and you're like, oh, you know, I'm just, I just, it's the thrill that comes from your gut. That feeling was enough for his father to literally run to his son. Can you just imagine that for a second? You have to think, this guy's like in a robe. Like he's in a robe, he's just like walking around his house. And then he like sees his son, he's like, oh yeah. He like pulls his tunic up so he's not tripping on it. He's like trotting along, sprinting down the road. And all the servants are probably like doing their thing. They're doing their jobs. They're like clipping bushes. And they're like, like what is he doing? What is he? Is he just running? Who's, who is he running to? Why is he running? But he doesn't care. He's not worried about what he looks like. Did you see me just now? I look ridiculous. He probably looked so stupid. <laughs> but he did not care. There's no hesitation. There's nothing holding him back. There's no pride that tells him, I can't run. I can't lift up my little tunic thing. <laughs> There's no resentment or anger for him not doing all the things right. There's no resentment of like, oh, it's this son that ruined my life, that took everything from me, that hurt me so bad. It's just love and pure joy, a gut-wrenching joy that made him sprint to his son while he was still a long way off. God will run to you. If he sees you walking, he will happily run to you. The son said to him, his little recited thing that he's been practicing the whole way, I'm sure. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But does he finish his recited thing? No, he does not. Where does he stop? He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. His father says, whoa, 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 stop right there. You are absolutely worthy to be called my son. Not another word out of you. You are my son. He interrupts him. He says to his servants, he says, quick, bring the best robe that we have and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. My son's home. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. To define a couple of those things. That best robe is like a sign of like a high position. Like if you walked in and you like, you walked in someone's house, you see someone with like a really nice robe on, you're like, whoa, that big deal. Oh, they got the, big, the best robe on. They're, they're super great. You know what I mean? It's a sign of position. 
The ring conveyed like an authority. It was like a family ring. You know, probably had like a, a crest or something on it for their family that was like, I'm part of this family. I have authority. I'm a big deal. And the sandals that he gave him imply that, I mean, if he had to give him sandals, it means he was probably barefoot. He probably shows up with no shoes. And this is like slave status. Like if you don't have shoes, that was like the lowest of the low. And so the shoes now mark him as like a free man. So we have a, we have a best robe that takes this son from nothing to something. We have a ring that says, oh, you dismissed yourself from the family. You denied your family, but now you're back and you are part of this family. If you put yourself under my authority, I now give you authority. The sandals, he gives him the sandals. He says, oh, you were a slave. You were the lowest of the low. I'm going to pick you back up and I'm going to free you. Now the fatted calf, this animal carefully looked after for, for very special occasions. Like every household had a fatted calf that they're like, we will only use this, you know, if, if something crazy good happens. And the father says, this is special enough. My delinquent son is home. Let's throw a big old feast. I wonder, looking at the, the, the party that his, his father's throwing for him, I wonder if the son found some of the joy and solid pleasure that he had been looking for in vain out in the far country. All these years, he's been out there, he's been looking for, he's been trying to do it his own way and say, I need to get the pleasure, I need to get everything that I want, everything that life has to offer me, I gotta get it all. That probably sounds familiar. I wanna get all that life has to offer me. And yet, that takes him to the dirt with the pigs. Or if he goes back home, he finds solid pleasure where people love him and people want him around. Now, some of us might read this, this father portion, and we might just kind of like pass over it. We just kind of accept it as it is. I feel like we do that with the Bible sometimes. I was saying this at our, at our huddle gathering uh, about a week ago. I was, I was teaching about the creation story. We're talking about the, the serpent that comes up. And the serpent comes and he talks. And I'm like, are we just going to like gloss over that? Like the snake is talking? Like, what? Like, let's not just like, just be like, oh yeah, that's what snakes did. <laughs> that's what snakes do. They just talk, you know? Like, let's look at this for what it is. This son has treated his father terribly. And he walks in and his father is happy that he's there. By our normal human standards in our current culture, this is not normal. This is not normal. And if you feel like it is, like, I encourage you to try and be a little bit more honest with yourself because it's not normal. I, I don't even know if I would do this. If your son came and demanded you for your will money, he said, I need my will money, give it to me. You give it to him, he takes it, spends it all on all sorts of wild living, Vegas living. Then he comes back home, what I imagine is years later, Several years later, he comes back home and his father is happy to see him. Dude, I would not be like, yeah, let's throw a party. I'd be like, look what the cat dragged in. Ah, I, I knew you'd come back home eventually. Yeah, you need, you need this money, huh? You need to be here. I'd be like, I told you so. Yeah, 
Some of you might even say like, you, have the, you might get angry. You have the audacity to come back here after how you treated me, after what you did to, to me and my reputation, to my money, all that I had saved up for you to have, after what you did to me, you dare come back here? Get out, no, leave. You're not welcome here. Now, maybe you're not like that. Maybe, maybe you're a little bit holier. Maybe you're a little bit better than me and you'd say, okay, yeah, you can come back home. Maybe you're even better than that. You're even nicer and you'd even forgive them for what they did. Or maybe you're even really, 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 really abnormal. The holiest of the holy, the most Jesus-like, and you'd even forget about it, put it behind you, say, you know what? All is forgiven. All is well. But if we're truly being honest with ourselves, we would not respond like this father did. We wouldn't. Our generation, our culture, is so obsessed with this idea of either not forgiving at all or forgiving but not forgetting about it, holding grudges. We're really big on that. We really care about our grudges. And it's not like always a bad thing in our hearts. We're not always doing it with bad intentions. It's all in the name of, of self-worth or, 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 or mental health or, or self-preservation. We're saying, I need to protect myself, so I'm going to put boundaries up. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold this grudge against you forever. Unlike the father in this story, we're not willing to just run out and forgive willy-nilly, at least not without some strings or implications attached to it. It's, it's I forgive you, but I'm not going to give any, you or anyone else money again. I've learned my lesson now. Cut off. It's, I forgive you, but I won't ever let people in the same way because of what you did to me. So I won't let people in anymore. It's, I forgive you, but our relationship that we have will never be the same. I can't trust you anymore. Broken trust. I don't want to talk to you ever again. We'll never be close again. Nope. Distance. But I forgive you. Jesus would never say those things. Pastor Maddie is going to talk about forgiveness next week in her parable that she's talking about. And we're going to go into that way more next week. So I'm not going to unpack all of forgiveness today. But Jesus would never do that. He would never cancel somebody. Jesus does not cancel. Bumper sticker. Right there. You heard it here first. The forgiveness that he gives is full, without end, without strings or implications, without a limit or an end date. He has released you from all of it. I forgive you. You don't have any resentment. I have no resentment towards you. I have no grudge towards you. Nothing. The point I'm trying to make is that God is not like us. God is not like us. God does not operate within our constraints and norms. God will welcome us, welcome us home every single time. He will take care of us every single time. He will celebrate every single time. Imagine with me, if after this party, okay, they throw a party for the younger son, it's all great, it's all happy. The younger son's like, oh my gosh, I should have come here all along. It's the best. This is such the place to be. It's amazing, okay? And so he's there and they're having a great time. And the father's like, here, I'll restore you the money. You're back in the family. And he's like, oh, sweet, thanks. And then leaves again. Imagine he leaves again. I would venture to say that God is the type of father that when he spends all his money again and comes back, he's gonna have the same celebration. 
He's gonna have the same celebration once again, two times, three times, five times, 10 times, 20 times. God will still have a celebration for you when you come home. It does not run out. His patience never runs out. It says in the scriptures, his mercies are new every morning. Every single morning when he wakes up, when you wake up, he says, you know what? I see you with newness. Everything you did yesterday, that's forgiven. If you're in my family, you're with me, you come back to me, I got you. I got you covered. Church, what would it look like for us to forgive like that? with complete abandon, new mercies every morning to say, I'm not gonna get frustrated with this person because I'm gonna have new mercies every day. This person has been at work, has been frustrating me every single day this last week. It's not Luke. <laughs> but I'm not gonna get frustrated today. I'm gonna choose that to have new mercies, to forgive, and to have endless, bottomless patience like God does. No resentment, no grudges. Earlier I said that there's no shame for people to return home. Where do you think that shame comes from? The shame in being helped, the fear in being helped. It comes from someone shaming them when they did. How many people do you think aren't willing to come back to church or come to church, come back home? Because in the past, they haven't been met with celebration, but instead they were met with condemnation and judgment, a slap on the wrist. If the son felt that his father was a judgmental man, an evil man that wouldn't welcome him back home, he wouldn't go back home. He would have gone somewhere else, right? He wouldn't have gone back to his father for help. If we are the means by which God takes care of his people. If we are God's like real representatives here, and God says, I show people that I'm this loving father through you. If we don't do that, if we don't celebrate, if we just slap on the wrist and don't let them in, what does that communicate about God? It communicates that he's not the father in this story, but he's the older brother. I guarantee you, if a non-Christian looks at you, Okay, this is for all the Christians in the room. If a non-Christian looks at you, okay, and you are not welcoming, celebrating, living in, in this father kind of mindset, I guarantee you that they're not gonna think, they're not gonna be like, oh, wow, they're just not living like God lives. They're, not, they're just not following Jesus correctly. No, they're gonna say, that's what Jesus is like? Because when you told me that you were his image, when you told me you were his representative, when you told me that the church is, is the, the means by which God restores the world. I took your word for it. I took your word for it. Fine, I'll watch you. And whatever you do, is that's what Jesus does. And so now constantly they're looking at, the, they have this idea of God frowning at them with a slap on the wrist saying, I don't want you here. Acting like this, the older son, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He comes near the house, heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's brought him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. 
That's what people expect. People expect you to be angry that they're here. They expect God to be angry. They expect God to say, you have the audacity to come and ask me for help when you haven't been following me? Have you heard that before? Have you heard people say that like, oh, I, I don't want to ask God for this thing because I don't follow him and so like, I, I, don't, I haven't been given the, the relational equity. I haven't given permission to do something like that. God doesn't operate like that. Like we covered before, every time you walked over to God, he has a smile on his face. He's joyful, happy that you're back. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Again, this is what the world expects. They view Christians as this type of person. The young man who stayed home, did everything right, read his Bible every day, prayed every day, did all the things he was supposed to. And they view everyone that didn't do the right things as undeserving of the love, undeserving of the celebration. Are you that? Are you the Pharisee that scoffs that there are sinners in the room? Do you, see, do you see people that are far from God, they walk into our church building, they walk in anywhere, and you say, ugh, that's disgusting. Or, ugh, they're going to hell for that, the things that they're doing. Or, or ugh, like, ugh, people just aren't following God these days. Like, you get angry about it, you get disturbed by it. Or do you see them with compassion, like the Father does? Our mission at this church is to reach people who are far from God and disciple them into a passionate relationship with Jesus. That's what we do here. That's our mission. And I think one of the big problems with the modern church structure in, in the world is that we have separated our individual selves from the mission. We've said, that's the church's mission. That's not my mission. I'm just doing my thing. But this church that I go to, not this church I'm a part of, this church that I go to, that's their mission. To reach people far from God and disciple them into a passionate relationship with Jesus is not an organizational mission statement. That's not an organization mission statement. That's a community mission statement. We're not doing that for our branding. We're not doing this. It's not just the staff. It's not just a, hey, if you work here, this is our mission as a staff to do this. It's a, if you're in this community, this is our mission. As a community, we will reach people who are far from God and disciple them into a passionate relationship with Jesus. It is a community mission statement. And so church, if we're not willing to give those who are far from God a chance, if we're not willing to extend grace and love to them, then we've missed the point. If we scoff at a certain type of person being in our community, we've grossly misunderstood the love of God. We've drastically messed it up. I had a professor that told me once, and it shook me to my core. He said, if you don't hope and pray that every single person on the planet gets reconciled to God somehow, then you are without the heart of Christ. If there's a single person on this earth that you're not so happy about, if you wouldn't be so happy about if they were saved, that's not the heart of Christ. Think of the person who you see as like the worst person in the world. 
that ever lived. It's someone you know, someone in the world that's done some atrocity. If they, after what they did, walked into a church building, walked into our church building and repented, God would celebrate with so much joy. Can you say the same? Would you rejoice? I think about someone like Ted Bundy, a serial killer who killed so many people. America hated him. Hated him. On the day of his execution, he supposedly met with a pastor before he died and he repented, professed faith in Jesus, and was baptized before he was executed. How does that make you feel? Are you like, oh, praise God? Yes! Or are you uncomfortable and feeling like, probably wasn't real? And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. We can't know for sure. But how does that make you feel? We love Paul in the scriptures. We love Paul. We're like, Paul's the best. Paul says all these things. He wrote half the New Testament. It's awesome. Yay. You know what Paul used to do before he wrote books of the Bible? He killed people. He probably killed more people than Ted Bundy did. My point in saying this is that if we're not willing to give the far from God a chance, if we aren't willing to give the Saul in the room a chance, then we won't see any more Pauls. If I'm not willing to see people at their darkest, if I'm not willing to bring people in in their moments when they need help, when they need a father, when they need a savior, if I'm not willing to bring them in, they'll never get celebrated and then they'll never see the fruit. They'll never get to celebrate. And we've completely twisted and misunderstood how the father works if we do that. Because this is what the father says in verse 31. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. God's looking at us like, clearly you don't understand my love. Clearly you're not getting it. I gave you your inheritance. Right at the beginning, when the younger son asks for his inheritance, the father gives it to both of them. The older son has his inheritance. He has all that he needs and God's like, who told you that you had to work so hard for my love? Who told you that? Why have you been slaving away trying to get me to see you when you already have all that is mine? All that is mine is yours. Everything that I have, you're always with me. If you wanted to celebrate, there's nothing stopping you. You might be working so hard to do right by Jesus. You might be doing all the things you're supposed to do, trying to keep the checklist, but like this older son, your body might be doing the right things, but your heart has not been transformed. Your heart hasn't done the work. Remember in Acts 4, how it said, the grace of God worked so much in them that it made them do this. In church, we often call this sin management versus spiritual transformation. Okay, sin management is I'm just trying to fix my act, get my act together. Spiritual transformation is I need to change my heart. I need to change what's in here. I'll use myself as an example. If I clean my house, take care of the baby, do all the dishes, I work my butt off so that my wife will love me, 
because I don't think she does. And I do all these things in hopes that she'll see me and care about me. That would be extremely unhealthy. That's, an, that's not a healthy marriage. But if I clean my house, take care of the baby, do the dishes, work my butt off because I know that my wife loves me so much and she does so much for me and I really just want to do this because I want her to be happy and I want to do something that's pleasing to her. That's super healthy. Same actions, different heart. In the first scenario, I'm acting out of scarcity. In the second, I'm acting out of abundance. God is a God of abundance, my friends. God is a God of abundance. When you truly experience that love, when you're transformed by that love like the early church, when you've just been so transformed by the grace of God that it, it inclines you to do good deeds, to see fruit, to help people, to bring the community of God together, you'll see the fruit. And when you're transformed, you won't be able to help but celebrate like the Father does when your brother or sister comes home. But we have to be transformed by that. We have to relearn the Father's love if we're that older son. So we've covered a lot today, a lot of different things. We've addressed the younger son in the room who needs to return home to God and the community of believers. We've addressed the father in the room who needs to be willing to forgive with abandon those who have wronged him. And we've addressed the older son in the room who needs to relearn the love of the father and celebrate the return of his brother. And while I said before, I know I said before that each of these could be their own sermon, and I, and I think there's, that's, there's a lot of truth to that. I also think there's one thing that carries through all of these stories, all of these characters, and that is humility. In fact, I even thought of calling this message Get Over Yourself for the title. Because what has to happen for the younger son to come home? He's got to get over himself. He's got to say, my way is not the best way. What has to happen for the father to forgive and celebrate even after being terribly wronged and hurt? What does it take for you to, to not judge and, and hold grudges against people? You need to get over yourself. What has to happen for the older son to just be happy for his delinquent brother coming back home? He has to get over himself and just be happy for him. Because more often than not, the barrier between us and the fruit of the gospel is ourselves. I'll say that again. More often than not, the barrier between us and the fruit of the gospel that we see in Acts 4 the fruit of the gospel that we see in kindness and forgiveness and love and celebration in this story is ourselves. We're the only thing standing in the way. Remember that son, there's nothing here. There's nothing on the road. There's no obstacles. It's just the choice. Am I going to walk or not? If we are not willing to get over ourselves, if we're not willing to get off our high horse thinking we're all that, if we're not willing to view God's way better than our way, we will never see the fruit of the gospel in our lives. Jesus is calling you, come out of, of your worldly ways of independence. Come out of your worldly ways of grudges and arrogance. Humble yourselves, come home, forgive, be loved. It's so much better. Think about how much, how much less stress you'd have if you're not holding any more grudges against people. Let it roll off your back. 
We see in 1 Peter 5 that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. His grace that we saw in Acts 4, his grace that transforms us is extended in our humility and our willingness to turn back. And I know in our world today, that doesn't make a lot of sense. We, we don't like to do that. We don't like to forgive because we might get hurt. We don't like to admit that we're wrong because there's shame in that. That makes us less than. We don't like when undeserving people get celebrated, but the heart of Christ is one that acts not out of self-preservation, but out of love for another above all else. And when the disciples say, who is my neighbor? Who, who is the person that I should love? Your neighbor is everybody. Fill in the blank. Love them. If we're, letting, if we're willing to let this story form us, be formed by this story like the church was, let it help us get over ourselves, I guarantee you, church, we will certainly see the fruit of the gospel in our families, our relationships, our church, and our city. Oh, we will surely see the fruit of the gospel. All it takes is a walk back home. If there's one thing that you remember today, all it takes is a walk back home. Let me pray this blessing over you. Reading back the passage that I opened with. May you seek the Lord while he may be found. May you call upon him while he is near. May the wicked forsake their, their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. Let them turn to our God for he will freely pardon. Oh, our God is a God of forgiveness. This is what the Lord says to you. Church, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So Lord Jesus, would you form us? Would you transform us by your grace? Lord, we acknowledge that your ways are higher than our ways. We acknowledge that you know better than we do. That independence gets us nowhere. Lord, help us to run to community. Help us to forgive. Help us to be humble. That we may see the fruit of the gospel everywhere we go. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.